been a star of their season tonight. He showed the world what he could do. My God, a question. An extra gear for the freshman. Touchdown. And the freshman is off. Foot race. <laughs> They're looking at shoe bottoms and nothing else. Into the end zone. Touchdown. The freshman just ran it back to Philadelphia. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Future Freshman Podcast. Welcome to episode 20. And today I bring on a very special guest. Of course, he is one of the founders here at Campus of Canton, one of my good friends, Mr. Matthew Bruning. You can find him at Twitter at SportsFanaticMB. Matt, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to be back. I guess my Ohio State talk last year was was uh not insufferable as it is to some, and you invited me back to talk more Ohio State. So I'm excited to jump back on and talk about my Buckeyes. Exactly. No, actually, and people like it. And you are the go-to guy for Ohio State. So if I got to talk about this incoming freshman class nonstop that just comes in with all the goodness, I have to bring on Matthew Bruning to break it down. Because regardless of what uh, pro comparisons or stuff they're saying online or whatever, I know that Matt's going to give me some insight. So that's why Matt is back. We've already talked enough about Tar Heels. I just want to learn about Ohio State. There's always some good fantasy goodness there. And for CFF Dynasty, it's importante. So we got to have this. Uh, we got to have this discussion every year, and that's why I made it specifically for you, good sir. So. Before we get started, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. Matt, you uh, help with the recruiting team. You also help with the Debbie Guide and the Freshman Supplemental. You even do some, uh, put a stamp of approval with your My Guide and stuff like that. Let's tell people yeah. why they should be at Campus of Canton, why the NIL membership is probably the best option for them as far as all the guides and stuff that we do there. Yeah, I mean, to me, the NIL is is the best deal in, in all of the fantasy football business. If you ask me, if you play campus to Canton, obviously the freshman supplemental guides matter to you and the drafts matter to you. That that's how you rebuild your team. Debbie God, that's usually the first couple rounds of your supplemental dress. Or if you're looking for guys that are going to move on to your NFL team. And then obviously the big one that there's really only two in the entire industry. I should have mentioned the freshman supplemental guide, the only one of its kind in the entire fantasy football industry. Then the CFF guide, or the CFF guys uh, or the CFF site does one that is very good, but you guys uh, absolutely killed it last year. And from everything I'm hearing, I am not lucky enough to be in the CFF uh, chat in our in our company Slack. But from what I hear, you guys are absolutely killing it. I personally cannot wait. You guys, I think I, I've, I've said this before on other shows, but I'll, I'll say it here because I know you're part of the CFF team. I would put you guys up against anybody in the business. And I don't even just mean the fantasy side. I mean college as well because of the knowledge that you guys have just of college football in general. And I think that you guys could be able to take down anybody. You guys are that smart. I can't wait to check out this guy. But with the NIL membership, realistically, you're only paying $19 a year because you're going to get all three of those guys for free. You get everything else. We've got betting tools, prop tools. Right now we're doing NIL meetings. I actually just had a meeting with one of our members earlier for an hour, me and Chris Moxley. Went over four of his rosters from just a couple dynasty leagues to even some of his C2C leagues. Gave him pointers, players that he should draft in his drafts, and we love doing it. All that comes, realistically, again, for $19 a year because if you're going to buy all three guys, you might as well just become an NIL member because you get everything else for $19. So to me, no disrespect to anybody else out in the space. There's a lot of people who do a lot of great work around college football, but I would argue that our team works hard i shouldn't say harder because you can never judge how we work just as hard as everybody else but i trust the knowledge of this team more than anybody else and the work that they do uh i can 
completely agree. However, I don't know if you want to be in that CFF slack. It's uh, it's pretty brutal, man. It's like when we have a discussion about greatest of all time basketball players, it gets heated sometimes. So it's probably best that we don't. Uh, but it's uh, absolutely a fun time. Uh, but I agree with Matt. Like we're just trying to better college football, in particular, in the amounts of time and effort that we have to go scavenging the internet to find g5 nuggets just to complete a cff guide is insane so matt's on to something there definitely go check out the website and then go check out the guys that david guys fantastic we had Corey on last week and he was able to kind of give us a, a couple profiles he really liked um really love the david guys especially for guys that are playing for the long run and you're definitely playing a c2c that all makes a lot of difference so definitely go check that out all right, Matt, let's get into it. I had to name it something different this year because <laughs> it's not just both teams. So it's the Ojai offense 2023. Got our boy, Mr. Carnell Tate. We'll talk about him shortly. But I wanted to make sure I made you feel at home with a nice little sweet uh, graphic for the show and what it's going to be called this year. So I love we'll it. I just, love it. We'll probably just change it to the different year of a year from this point forward, man. So we'll just do that. But let's start off with we're going to go by on three consensus. So, you know, the past episodes have been explained on three puts them in a median number, meaning that they take it from all the different recruiting websites and give you one set number and they give you a a star rating depending on that number. So Brandon Ennis is the guy that chops the charts there for Ohio State as far as the overall recruiting class there. All three consensus, 9,700. He's a four star. Everyone's going to be from Iowa State, so we don't have to keep saying that they're from Ohio State. Everyone's going to be a Buckeye in this show, but it's important. Um. I really, really am digging Brandon Ennis. I remember uh, this past season, it was actually in the middle season, uh, you were helping the recruiting class, you were doing some watching, and you tweeted about Brandon Ennis, and he's very, very good to respond. But he yeah, comes out with yeah. confidence. I mean, yeah, it looks like he's trying to just, you know, dunk on people, but he didn't dunk on you. He was just trying to be, he's just charismatic, be like, hey, just, there's more. I can do more to this. Just check this out. Watch what I do next. Watch what I do next. Love that about Brandon Ennis. He's a team player. Um, something I was looking up when uh, we were, when I was just looking up just general stuff that he stepped up as QB for a whole season just because American Heritage needed somebody, knowing he's the number one wide receiver in the country at the time. And I think he still was before uh, – I forget who was. I think Ennis is still one of the top receivers. I yeah, he's one of the top ones, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and if he did, it, on three still sees him as, like, you know, a guy that you got to have. But the fact that he became a team player, he knew that he would have to take it in his stride, but the fact that he wanted to, he spent hours on tape trying to learn QB – would hit up his coach, who, by the way, is Patrick Sertan Sr., which is pretty cool. A nice little, uh, you know, homage to the Broncos and, and Junior playing for a cornerback and stuff like that. But he comes from a, a go get him attitude. Uh, I never say die, uh, like I'm going to be better, just watch me type situation. Love that about Brandon Ennis. What were some things about Ennis that you liked on film and just things like you think he could bring to the table for Ohio State? I mean, I, I honestly think he's the most complete wide receiver in this class. And, and it's going to be interesting because obviously, so for those of you who don't know, Carnell Tate got all this love because he was actually able to join the Buckeyes during the spring for whatever reason. And, and I never was able to find out the exact reason, but American Heritage, the high school, does not let you graduate early. So because of that, Ennis couldn't go to be there in spring. It's not that he didn't want to. He literally couldn't go. But if you go and watch his tape, I mean, number one, you mentioned he played quarterback. He also played defensive back, running back early on in his high school career, and he was also the main punt and kick returner for for American Heritage. I mean, I tweeted out plays of him. As, as you mentioned, we got to watch. I was part of me, big wide receiver guys at Solving Football, would watch games all Friday nights. We'd be, we have a group chatted in our company Slack. We're talking about, we're recording videos, this stuff. I must have tweeted at least three or four punt to kickoff returns from him just this past season. 
that's how talented this kid is. And then you bring in just how refined of a route runner he is. I mean, we talk about these guys who are a little bit raw going to Ohio State, and you want, hey, Brian Hartline, he's going to teach them to be a route runner. He doesn't have to do that here with Brandon Innes. Brandon Innes, in my opinion, is the best route runner in this class. He has no issue creating separation at the line of scrimmage, and he has this very quick stutter step before he bursts into his route. He knows how to sink his hips really well, um, gets defenders like almost breaking their ankles going in the opposite direction. Incredible ball tracker, and even though he is not the biggest player, he wins in contested situations situations more often than I thought he was going to. He's got very strong hands. I just think he's a very complete player. And I think that at the end of the day, we're going to remember how good he is when he's finally on campus for Ohio State and able to compete and do things. And I know Carnell Tate has kind of jumped up because of what he's done. But to me, if you were to tell me right now, I'm in a freshman supplemental draft, or if I'm in a CFF dynasty draft, and it's like, hey, you're on the clock and you got to take Brandon Innes or Carnell Tate, I'm still taking Innes over Tate. Yeah, that's going to bring me to my next point. As far as like C two C, clearly he's a first rounder. You know, that's that's a no brainer. CFF Dynasty, can you give the case on why? Just because it's you know it's biased. Carnell Tate's been in front of us. He called thirty seven yeah. pass from our guy Kyle McCord, right? So it's like you see all the writings on the wall. Tate, had, and we'll talk about Tate here in a second. But he's six two. He has that. Marvin Harrison quote frame, you know, things like that. So a lot of people are enamored and Colonel Tate's really, you know, he's really good. But what is it about Ennis that you've seen on tape that a couple of us have seen like Brendan Ennis is special. What, what makes him like that guy that we want to have like a John Tate cook or a Zachariah branch. Like he's up there in that echelon. Why, why is that? That's what we want to kind of know. If, if you go back through Brian Hartline's history of wide receivers, he recruits these guys that are in this like 5'11 to 6 foot range and they're around like 185 to 195. Well, Brandon is 5'11, 189, but more importantly, he can play anywhere on the field. And that is the big thing that Brian Hartline loves. You saw him do that with JSN. I get it. JSN played mostly in the slot. He also had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave on the outside of him. And that really kind of affected him. I honestly think. Had he not gotten hurt last year, we would have seen him a lot more on the outside opposite of Marvin Harrison. We didn't get that opportunity. Brandon Ennis is that guy for this offense. They can put him in the slot. They'll move him outside. They can use him on jet sweeps. Now, he's not as fast as Carnell Tate. He's not as big as Carnell Tate. But overall, I just think he is the more polished wide receiver. And that, to me, from everything I've heard Brian Hartline talk about wide receivers matters so much to him. And while I do think Tate has earned himself a spot on the field and he'll be there, I still think at the end of the day, Brandon Innes is going to be the player that gets more reps early, or when we get into the season and is actually more productive because of his ability to move all around the offense. He is, to me, the JSN and the mecca of this offense. And we've just seen, again, we all know Marvin Harrison is incredible. He's the number one wide receiver in all of college football. But if you go back to his freshman season and Mecca Buga's freshman season, who out of the two of those was actually getting playing time before the bowl game and was getting actually some working yardage? Was it wasn't Marvin Harrison, guys. Yeah, it was a Mecca Buka, and that's who Brandon Ennis is. So if you want to put the two in a bucket, and I'm not trying to say he's going to be a Mecca or, or Jason, and I'm not trying to say Carnell Tate's going to be Marvin Harrison, but if you were putting them into kind of where they fit in the offense, that's how I would view them. Ennis is more the Mecca Buka and JSN of the offense, where Carnell Tate is that outside guy, the Chris Ol, uh, not Chris Ol, I'm sorry, the Garrett Wilson, um, Marvin Harrison type that they're going to use as their ex, but Brian Hartline just loves. And I should also add in another reason why I think Ennis is going to be the guy who's calling plays for Ohio State now moving forward. It's Brian Hartline. Yep, Hartline, yeah. And he loves those wide receivers. So I really think he's going to go all in on Brandon in this when he finally gets his shot. 
I remember this time last year we were having a discussion. I couldn't even uh, pronounce Emeka Buka's name. Now I know it like the tip of my tongue, right? Yeah. So like it goes to show you like there's always going to be an Ohio State receiver that just transcends. And Ohio State is very capable even of three wide receivers on a good day. But most of the time they can carry two wide receivers like it's no big deal. I personally see like Brendan Ennis is like, yeah, Colonel Tate is the – the guy that people are going to like go after and he's going to be the coveted one. So maybe he might be that Marvin Harrison lookalike or, you know, the next in line or whatever. But I think we're going to wind up remembering Brennan and it's like, remember JSN. And it was unfortunate. I think JSN would have been drafted probably even higher than what he was there. If he could have stayed healthy the entire year and show that he could play outside just as he can on the slot. So definitely think Ennis is a guy. So let's line it up real quick. So say you got 101 to 105, and I do this like every week. So say if you got Branch on the board, Jonte Cook, Brandon Ennis, those are your top three. For CFF purposes, who are you taking? And then C2C, who would you rather have? Man, that's a good question. It's a tough one. Um, so, well, I, I, so I guess I would say for CFF, Dynasty, and C2C, I feel like you're probably viewing all free assets in somewhat the same right, correct. manner. So I would probably keep it then with my grades and still say I'd go in the order that you gave and be Zachariah Branch, Jonte Ennis. Now, I don't have an issue with going Jonte over Branch because I actually think his ceiling is higher because he's a little bit bigger. He's not quite as fast. Obviously, Branch has like, they say Tyree kill speed. We'll, we'll see if that's actually true. I feel like it's kind of hard to say that there's not a lot of guys that are that fast. Right. Uh, but I would definitely take both those guys ahead of Ennis because I think both those guys have a chance to actually produce for your teams and be startable assets this year. Where Ennis, I think he's going to get some work, but I think his breakout year will be next year, much like a Mecca Egbuka and JSN was. You saw flashes in their first season, but their breakouts came that second year. Yeah. Uh, I, you're in the same one. Me and Jared were having a discussion. Like, do we take Cook over like Ennis? Like, do we take him over Branch? Just because it's so it's like splitting hairs. Because a lot of the times, all three of them, you're looking at literally next year is like a, a big production for all three of them. But it's like, who do you want? What offense do you want to take? Because all three are enticing now. All of a sudden, for CFF, where maybe a couple years ago, not the case. So that's definitely interesting. But yes, Brandon Ennis, the top dog in the Ohio State class for wide receivers this year. Let's move over to Mr. Popular, Mr. Carnell Tate. Uh, he is the on three consensus 96.49. He is a four-star. Of course, we said he's committing to Ohio State. He's like uh, Matt told you, he's 6'2". Uh, listed 174, but I think he's gotten a little bit bigger and badder there as he's been in Ohio State, so I think he's gained some little bit of weight. He's also 18 years of age, just like Brandon Ennis as well. Gives a pro comparison of Tyler Boyd at his time in Pittsburgh as far as like the way his athleticism, his ball skills, similar stages in college where like they came in a little raw, but they're very skilled. Um, Carnell Tate has uh, done pretty great, man. Like he uh, he went to a stacked IMG squad, so he didn't get as much play as probably he would have liked. But the time that he was there in 2022, he caught 30 passes, 777 yards, eight touchdowns. And he did play some D-back just like Brandon Ennis as well. So he's played both sides of the football. So he understands the position really well. Um, the biggest thing was the spring game. Matt, it was, the, it was the option where he got to play on the outside. He was there for the spring. He got a sweet pass from Comic Core right over the top. And, you know, he, he took the black stripe, came off. And uh, that's a big thing. Can you explain the black stripe to people about Ohio State and why that's yeah. important? Yeah, it, it, so it's an Urban Meyer thing. It's not something that's been going on forever at Ohio State. He actually did it at Florida as well, but I don't know if it was like you're officially a Gator. I, I don't really know how that part worked. I, I don't care for the Gators, so it really only mattered when he came to Ohio State. But what that is is 
you haven't earned the ability to call yourself a Buckeye yet is what they do. So they just give you a plain helmet with a black stripe on it. You don't get the beautiful silver or or the, the scarlet red. You don't get any of that. You, it's just a, a regular helmet with a black stripe on it. When you've earned the ability to call yourself a Buckeye, they take that off. You actually get a, a, a silver helmet, and you're considered then at that point and officially an Ohio State Buckeye. And then you get to gain all those sweet stickers for all those accomplishments yeah, that you have, right? Beautiful Buckeye plan. Yes. <laughs> um, but that's a big deal. So that's where, you know, that's why people are, are excited about Colonel Tate. Not only is he seen in the eyes of college football as he's ready now, he's already earned it. He's a freshman. He could come in any time if there was any injury. We don't ever want to see that happen. And we do think that Colonel Tate is a guy that could probably be, I mean, at this point, a lot of people are trying to still trying to figure out Julian Fleming. I know that triggers some people in our team, so I won't bring him up with too much more. Um, but you know, he's still there. Uh, but the guys that were people looking at is Abuka and Harrison, but there's got to be a, an opportunity for wide receiver. Three. There's our guy Keon Grace from last year that we're still trying to figure out. We've had a few transfers, so it's you know made the room a little bit less confusing per se. Um, but with Hardline at the helm, like Fleming's still probably an option because that was his boy, and it's just one of those things where like can Carnell Tate truly become wide receiver three or do you think a guy like Ennis or a guy we'll talk about here in just a second that I know from the state of North Carolina Mr. Rogers that could possibly take wide receiver three or do you think all these guys are uh, you know a next year type situation where we just draft them all at one time yeah, well, I definitely think his better shot of producing is next year. Um, he did, as you mentioned, earliest to lose his black stripe of the wide receivers. I still think JSM would have probably lost it right around the same time. He was not able to come into spring during due to COVID, but he had an amazing spring. And, and the one thing I'll point out is early on in spring, they were actually trying him out in slot, which, again, I mentioned earlier, Brian Harline, how he loves his wide receivers to move all over the place. just didn't work out. They've kept him on the outside. So my big fear with him with this stuff is, Early on, we used to see this rotation of sorts with the wide receivers, and we haven't seen it as much over the past couple of years. In fact, I used to talk about it all the time. Hey, they usually have this rotation. These wide receivers should be fine. Well, they haven't done it the past few years, and I don't know that that's going to change this year. And right now, you're looking at Marvin and Julian Fleming on the outside with likely a Buka in the slot. That then puts Jaden Ballard in, while I think Carnell Tate is better than all three of the players I'm about to name, technically, after Marvin Harrison, you're going to have Julian Fleming, Xavier Johnson, and Jaden Ballard. That doesn't leave a lot for Carnell Tate. Now, I think, again, he's better than all those guys. Julian Fleming gets hurt. Probably going to see Xavier Johnson going back in on the outside and Jaden Ballard being there. Ballard, definitely a much different skill set. He's not going to be that X like Carnell Tate is. So then maybe Tate does get a chance to come in here with Marvin Harrison. But then, again, I don't know what this team is going to be this year. I don't know what this offense is going to be. If they're in close games, I don't know that Tate's going to see a lot of the field. I think we could be, and I'm just using this as an example, I think we could be seeing an offense from Ohio State like what we saw in the COVID season where because they were in games, starting quarterback and the starters stay out there a lot longer than you'd expect. So we never really got to see Julian Fleming and JSN and G Scott Jr. Go out there and do anything. And that we all kind of faded them at that point. JSN, you know, he had some pub because of the great catch. He had in the back of the end zone against Nebraska, but we didn't get to see a lot of them that freshman season. Again, it's why I point to Ennis kind of being that guy, because there's really nobody else in that slot behind JSN. They tried Noah Rogers during the spring. Didn't really get a lot of rave reviews. They tried Carnell Tate. Not really much going on there. They tried Keon Grays and Caleb Brown. All those other guys, a couple of the guys transferred out already. I think it's going to end up being Ennis once he gets in there. So 
if you're asking me which guy I think has a chance to, to break into the rotation, I still think it's going to end up being Ennis. But if Tate is able to secure that role behind Marvin Harrison Jr., I can't wait to see what he does. To me, he's just a little bit more raw running routes. Uh, I do think that he is a very talented wide receiver. He knows how to stack corners really well. He's got very good hands. I um, mean, he also was used as a kick returner, uh, but not as good as Ennis, in my opinion. And as you mentioned, I do, I do think the reason he was able to succeed so well in spring and why he's gotten so much hype, you mentioned he went to IMG. I mean, that's all IMG Academy cares about is taking these high-end athletes in high school and getting them to the college level and getting them out there and then helping them get to the NFL. None of the other wide receivers in this room had the training that Carnell Tate did at IMG Academy, but I don't think that he was able to really develop the way a player like Brandon Ennis was because at the same time at IMG, you don't play the entire game. There are a lot of times that he was out by halftime, wasn't playing the third or fourth quarter. Brandon Ennis was taking every single snap for American Heritage. So I still think Carnell Tate has some developing to do. I would not be surprised if we see him a little bit, but I, I am a little bit worried about what this wide receiver depth room looks like because another argument that I've had with Chris Moxley and, and Felix Sharp on Debbie debate, and I am not a Julian Fleming fan. Like I, I just think he's an athlete. He's not necessarily a good wide receiver, but for whatever reason, Brian Hartline loves the kid. And I, I really think a lot of it is probably a little bit of, I don't want to say his ego, maybe some stubbornness in the fact that like he went out there, that was one of the very first guys that he landed in that class. It was a number one wide receiver. And he's like, I'm going to make this guy work. He's going to continue to give that guy shot after shot after shot. And I think that that is going to unfortunately bury a guy like Carnell Tate that we saw in spring just really couldn't make it in the slot. Not that he should be. He does profile to be more of an outside wide receiver, so I think he might get buried a little bit early on, but I do think we'll see something from him by the time the season rolls around, by the end of the season rolls around. So I want to I bring this up because a lot of people are asking about Trevion Henderson. They're asking about, you know, the running back situation. And, and yeah, like we were talking about, I think this was this time last year that a lot of times uh, Ohio State took like the uh, hockey approach where it's like, you know, one one team goes in, one team goes out, and you just kind of keep it pushing for the offense. That way Ohio State could keep pressure on you. Well, in the past couple of years, uh, it's almost like I, I think Coach Day is kind of trying to make it a little bit more balanced. I think, I don't know, maybe he's trying to keep people happy as far as like make sure they stick around, things like that. But do you think, you know, with uh, some of the options, especially with uh, some of the games that they have where it's like, you know, the, it's on the line, do you think they go back to more of a run game and that limits, you know, receptions or a three wide out set? Yeah. Or do you think it just stays a three wide out set, but we still have Henderson and, and the guys on the field? I still I still think they'll have the three wide out sets out there. Um, and I don't want to say this because Brian Hartline is the play caller because he – Definitely knows the run game as well from everything I've heard. Uh, but I do think that they want that out there because they don't want you to know what they're doing. And, and I also think the tight end room, outside of Stover, they don't really have that guy that's a great blocker. So I think they want to have those three wide receiver sets to kind of spread the defense out a little bit. The offensive line's lacking. Um, in my opinion, a little bit, they brought in a couple transfers to hopefully help solidify, but they just lost three players in the NFL draft. They've got, you know, even though I do like Kyle McCord, he's only started one game. I mean, there's a lot of questions about this offense. So I do think we are going to see a more balanced approach to this offense than we have the past really two seasons. Ryan Day, the past two years, has gotten a little bit too pass happy, and it took a lot of, I mean, you go all the way back to Justin Fields' final year. I mean, dude almost practically broke his wrist in the Northwestern game, and it took them that happening for them to finally give Trey Sermon the ball. He ended up breaking a record mostly in the second half of that game. You know, day gets a little bit past him. I think Brian Hartline's going to come in and kind of even things out a little bit, a little bit because of the questions we have on this offense. I think we will see actually a lot of Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams.
Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the game that made Sermon probably get his draft stock for when he actually came in, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure that, and I think the, what was it, the yeah. Big Ten Championship game. And right. Aaron, no, no, what was it, the the playoff game? Who'd they play? Because he actually played really good in the first one. He got injured against Bama. Was it Clemson? Was it the Clemson? Was it Clemson? I might have been a Clemson. Clemson game, yeah. Yeah, because then I think he got hurt in Justin Fields because he had the, what's it called, the moment where he caught up and it was the, the camera right. thing. That was against Clemson. Yeah, I think it was Clemson, but yeah. Yeah. But still, I mean, Ryan Day, even when he's he's just trying to figure it out, he makes guys NFL stars. So there you go, yeah. the, the almighty Ohio coach. State. So let's talk about a guy next that actually comes from my home state that I've actually got a chance to see a little bit up close. So it's Mr. Noah Rogers. No D in this one. We'll talk about another Rogers, and he has a D in his name. Um, but this one is Noah Rogers, and he's on three consensus, 96.08. He's a four-star uh, as well. Um, comes from Rollsville, North Carolina, so right outside of the Fayetteville area. Got him pl- see um, play a few times against uh, like Havelock, which is close by. So our boy Juice uh, Juice Vereen or Javante Vereen, whoever you want to go by, who plays for NC State now as well. Noah Rogers, I knew because that's the name that all the local colleges wanted. So North Carolina, NC State for a long time was flirting with Mr. Noah Rogers. And we honestly thought he was going to go to the Wolfpack. And I was getting pretty nervous. I'm not going to lie. As a rival school to go along with it, too. Um, He has a pro comparison of Chris Godwin. And it's because of his ability. 6'2", under 93 pounds. Godwin was a little bit bigger coming out of uh, high school. He was 205. So he was a little bit thicker build. But both of them have uh, size. They have the athleticism. Their skill set is really good as a big outside receiver. And uh, they, they kind of transcend multiple aspects. So Noah Rogers, even as a four-star, he was highly coveted. And he's one of the probably the best receivers that the state of North Carolina has seen in a very long time. So that's why like he was super, super like sought after and stuff like that. But the recruiting was good. You could see the other guys on the team, like Mr. Ennis and Mr. Tate. You know, tweeting away at Mr. Rogers would be like, yo, let's make the trifecta. Let's make it happen. And sure enough, in around December, we saw him where he uh, did the graphic and he's heading to Ohio State. And everyone in North Carolina cried a little bit on the inside. But <laughs> everyone was super stoked because Ohio State is a good offense. Yeah. But everyone is just, we're not worried per se, but it's just like we want to just make sure that if our guy from NC State, you know, from North Carolina, he's just represented well and that he's, you know, he's going to play. And he definitely has an outside role. So it's like, we're probably going to have to wait, I'm assuming, for both Harrison and Ibuka, which I'm thinking probably they're both going to go to the draft, especially if they have a good year. Why would Emeka not take the draft stock and, and go? It just depends on if he wants to separate himself from Marvin Harrison in this draft or if he's okay, because I think that both could be – I mean, Harrison's early first round. We could probably look at oh, Ibuka yeah. as like end of the first, probably like a JSN-type pick, stuff like that, right? So Rogers is going to play. It's just like, are we mad? Are we talking – one years we're talking two years at this point like when are, when are we going to see rogers seeing his skill set in ohio state uh uniform on a daily basis or a weekly basis yeah i mean i i like rogers uh as a recruiting team we were high on him fairly early on and then we let i don't want to say some negative talk affect all of us because i mean i so look i, I think he's got some of the best like it just eye-popping moments on tape you go watch him his his huddle film. We have some actual games cut up of him. Incredible catches. The, this dude has some incredible body control. One handed grabs, twisting his body in all different kinds of ways, catching the ball on the sidelines. Uh, really, in in my opinion, arrogant hands with the way he's able to attack the ball. I, I like him overall. But then there were some reports that like maybe when they were running the ball, he wasn't really giving it his all in blocking, and he was kind of taking some plays off. At the end of the day, I honestly don't really care about that in high school because that's not going to work for you in college, especially at Ohio State. They're not going to let you dog it. Although 
there has been some some videos of Marvin Harrison maybe dogging it on a player too. But that again, that's Marvin Harrison. I think Noah Rogers is going to be just fine. My big fear for him, and just using a, a theory that we have kind of developed, I should say we, Austin Nace and Chris Mox have developed the year one zero. My fear is that he does that. And if he does that, then we've shown that it's statistically, it's just almost, it, you'd be an outlier to make it into the NFL. But if he's able to break that, which he does have some kick returning ability, so maybe he's used in that role because they don't want to put Ennis or Tate back there, and that's how he ends up getting it. As long as he breaks that year one zero, I'm going to be absolutely in love with him next year. And he's a guy that I think you should be drafting, if I'm being honest. So I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of a hot take here. I don't feel like the recruiting team's going to like what I'm about to say. Oh, well, they'll get over it. When it comes to this offense, I think it's going to be these three guys next year. I loved Keon Gray's in that 2022 class. We talked about him last year. It's just not going to work out. None of those guys, it seems like they're already getting passed up by these guys. I think Noah Rogers is going to end up being the Garrett Wilson of this class. I think Carnell Tate is going to fit into the Chris Olave role. And then again, I've already mentioned Brandon and his JSN. Like that's how I think this offense is going to run. Noah Rogers with his ability to just make incredible catches, the way he goes up and high points the ball. Again, his body control. Whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Devin Brown next year, Lincoln Kineholz, I think that they're going to know they can just throw this ball up in this dude's area code, and he's going to go up and get it, and they're going to use him the way that they did Garrett Wilson. I think Noah Rodgers is going to be a smash for you on the CFF side and possibly see to see if he doesn't become a year one zero, and that's my biggest fear. I think of the three that we've talked about, he's the one that I think has the better or has the more likely outcome of becoming a year one zero than Brandon Ennis and Cardell Tate. That was going to be my biggest fear. Like if he can't even like return a punt or like just get some type of production where he just doesn't hit a zero. Uh, I think we talked about that in the wide receiver episode and even in the quarterback one and you know, passing and stuff like that. We just don't like to see that. We want to see everyone wants to see a Luther Burden one where he's just being used like all over and not everyone can be compared to Debo Samuel, just like me and Corey talked about last week. So, you know, you just can't have that, but Rogers, I hope somehow he proves something to you know, to the coaches that, hey, man, I'll return kicks. I'll be a kick returner. I'll be a punt returner. Like, just let me have the ball and let me do that. I think he's done some of that when he was at Rollsville. I didn't get to see a lot of punt returns or anything from Noah Rogers and stuff like that. So now I'm going to ask because there's so many, so much talent in there. What is the possibility, like, if he doesn't get on the field and stuff like that, because of his ties to North Carolina, his brother walked on to UNC, not saying that he would ever come to UNC, because if anything, he might go to state. But there's a possibility like, you know, if Kevin Conception, the three star, if he doesn't break out like people are thinking for a NC State there with Brendan Armstrong. Is it possible that Rogers like, well, I need the spotlight. Let me go back to North Carolina. What's the do you think that's even a possibility or do you think because of the recruiting, because Heartline wanted him, he's really just going to be that guy's like, I'm just going to overtake Gray's and then, you know, I'm just going to wind up being that guy next year. What's your thoughts? Yeah, 1,000%. I, I could see him transferring out. I mean, you've got Jeremiah Smith and Mylon Graham right now, both coming in next year, both very highly rated. I think both are actually five stars. So, they I are, mean, yeah. yeah, you've already got Brian Hartline, that, and I'm sure I believe they're in on two other wide receivers. So he may be looking at this as like, okay, especially if he doesn't get a lot of time on the field this year, he may be looking at it as like, all right, do I really want to sit here and even though I, because I do think he's a very talented wide receiver, but like now I got to battle with these two five stars and you may look at it and say they're five stars. They've got a better chance of getting on the field because of their recruiting pedigree. However you want to look at it. I'm all for it. I have no issue whatsoever. If any of these guys, like I kind of hoped Keon Grays would transfer this year just so we could see him yeah. on the field. Cause I love the player. And same thing here with Noah Rogers, whether it's at Ohio state or 
I mean, hell, I honestly would have loved if he went to North Carolina this year. I thought it, I think it'd have been, yeah, I think it'd have been fun to see him with Drake May in that offense because I think yeah, he would have gotten some baller. run. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I would love it if, if he ends up transferring, especially if he doesn't get a lot of playing time here at Ohio State, uh, wherever he goes, even if it's not there, if he goes somewhere else, I, I, I never begrudge a player for for doing that. I do think out of the three, again, he's probably the one because we're. I know we're probably going to talk about Bryson Rogers here in a minute. He's we are way down the list compared to these three guys. So like if, if you had to, t- if you told me one of these three, you're not surprised that one of these three transfers next year, who would you put your money on? It, it would unfortunately be Noah Rogers as the guy who transfers out. So these are the main three wide receivers I wanted to talk about first. So knowing that we, you know, we already have NS pretty high. We have Tate. Uh, let's start with C2C first, because a lot of, you know, a lot of this is our, you know, campus to Canton first and foremost, before we dive into the niche of CFF dynasty. But um, between the three, with Rogers possibly being a transfer, does that move his stock up to you? Does that make him worth, you know, a higher pick in, in campus to Canton leagues? Or do you think he comes down because he's not certain to stay at Ohio State? And just kind of like we mentioned, like the, the not knowing where you might land, that might cause people to kind of want to back off. And maybe we can get some value out of Noah Rogers. What's your thoughts about all three there in the draft stock? I mean, I think if if I'm being honest, Rogers is probably the value on the board. I, I don't really know where he's going. So I haven't completed a draft yet. I think the one that I'm furthest into is six rounds in, and I actually haven't seen him go off the board yet. So like oh, interesting. To okay. me, that's a value, regardless of mm-hmm. if he transfers or not, because of the talents. I mean, again, if he goes back home to North Carolina. I think he's going to be just fine there. Now, I don't know who, you know, is it going to be Connor Harrell? We'll figure out who the quarterback's going to be. We'll figure yeah. out what that offense is it going to be, be now. State. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens with him. But right. I think the talent is there that, like, I think he is probably the best value on the board because the other part of that is if he ends up being in that Garrett Wilson role, like I said, you're getting that guy much later. I mean, Cardinal Tate and Brandon Innes are going first round. I mean, Brent Cardinal Tate was going in the second round, but Austin's been hyping him up a lot. Now he's just say, the hype trains are yeah, running, baby. The hype train's going. <laughs> he's in the first round. Now he's getting closer and closer to being lapping Brandon Innes. So you're right. telling me, hey, you know, I could take a Cedric Baxter here at 1-6 and then get Noah Rogers in the sixth round. I'll probably oh, take that bet because I love Cedric Baxter. I, th- I think he's the better value of the three of them, regardless of whether he transfers out or stays at Ohio State. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I f- it's funny how the front of C2C drafts almost mirrors that of CFF Dynasty just because of the same concept. Like, yeah, C2C focuses on the pro level. So you definitely, I mean, all three of these guys are clearly can be pros in the NFL level just by talent alone, right? But, it, you know, in CFF Dynasty, it's like, we just we know Rogers is a talent, so hey, he's going to Ohio State. So immediately is still popular, even if he's the third option. So if you miss out, which right now, like Tate's going like the top Ohio State one one, the spring game, everyone freaked out and was like, yo, I gotta have the next Marvin Harrison Jr. So everyone's jumping to get Carnell Tate. And, you know, and once Austin gives you the bump, you know, he moves up a little bit as well in, in most drafts too. So um Having that, you know, I'm okay with missing out on Tate, even though I have him ranked pretty high, but I do have Cook, Branch, and I also have Ennis a little higher. So if I could get Ennis with just like a couple picks later, I'm actually down with that. And I actually would probably take Noah Rogers and probably get uh, easily a third round in CFF Dynasty just because like, yeah, maybe I want to have him for in the case that he is at the Ohio State and he's playing on the outside. But in case he does wind up going to NC State, UNC, I don't know, maybe he somehow Max goes to G5 and someone gives him money or something. I doubt that's ever going to be the case because he's a P5 guy. But, you know, just in case that he goes anywhere remotely of interest, uh, as long as the wide receiver room isn't crowded and he makes a mistake and doesn't go where he needs to go, Rodgers is the pick for sure. So 
Definitely like that, man. I, I think that's pretty interesting that it actually uh, kind of mirrors each other like that. So let's move on from wide receiver. And let's finally talk about the first tight end of the season here for the Future Freshman Podcast. It is Mr. Jelani Thurman. He's on three consensus 93.66, and he is a four-star recruit as well. When I saw his pro comparison, Matt, I got giddy because it's that of Julius Thomas of the Denver Broncos as well. Um, you know, around four guy. Uh, the, the kid, does, uh, he's got a big, big catch radius. He's huge. He plays power forward in basketball just like Julius. An absolute monster. Um, and he did pretty good in 2021, the junior year, 31 passes caught. He got 479 yards and seven touchdowns. Um, and he is, uh, he also played, uh, you know, played defense. He has 61 tackles, five QB uh, pressures, and he got a sack as well. So needless to say that Julian Thurman is an absolute stud. We did see some movement out of Cade Stover this past year. So the tight end position, though he wasn't like highly coveted for maybe C2C purposes, but as far as like in a CFF, when you're looking for scraps, you know, at the tight end level, basically, and a pickup on like a waiver or late round drafts, I think Thurman might be a guy that you should probably uh, kind of scoop up. What are your thoughts on Thurman as far as like just overall C2C? I mean, is he going to go pro like Julius Thomas? Do you think he's uh, capable of making it to the next level? And what are your thoughts about his role? coming in at Ohio State. Yeah, I, I, he absolutely has the skill set. I'll say that to make it to the NFL and be be a guy. Is it, is it you know, can he be Julius Thomas? That part I don't know. I mean, Julius Thomas, uh, from what I remember, was an absolute stud for you in fantasy, at least for a while. I mean, I know he had injuries and that kind of ended up, you know, killing his career a little bit. From what I remember, he was a dude that you wanted even when he went to, was it Jacksonville, right after Denver, right? I mean, he was still, yeah, for he a was still, seasons. Really good for you there for the most part until the injuries came up. He's got really good hands, uh, incredible catch radius. I think he he moves fairly well for a guy who's 6'6", 227. Obviously, the main thing is you want to see him add a little bit of weight. You, you don't want to see him at 227. He, even though he is 6'6", you want to see him add a little bit. The tight end room is pretty bare outside of Cade Stover, who is going to the NFL after this season. So do I think Jelani Thurman can get on the field and do something? Absolutely. I mean, you look at back to why can I not remember who this is? Nick Vanette. Who am I thinking of? There was a tight end that's been amazing. And I cannot for the life of me remember what his um, name is now. He went to the Jets and was it, um, he had the that. amazing catch. And now I cannot for the life of me remember who Shoot. it is. Now I'm going to kick myself in the face. For I know this. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be I've got I've got to figure this out. All right. <laughs> I know he got drafted by the Jets. It was, his, I should believe it was day two. He had like the great catch in the playoff game. It was like a one-handed catch. And then he ended up hurting his foot. And then we didn't see him anymore. Yeah. And I feel like this is horrible. Jer Jeremy Rucker. Jeremy Rucker. There you go. Rucker. Yeah. Jeremy Rucker. That's right. That's right. We've seen these guys. I don't know why I'm thinking Nick Vanette. Jeremy Rucker. We've seen these guys, you know, not have like massive production at Ohio State, but get drafted. I mean, you can go through the list of Ohio State tight ends. They've he's actually put a lot of, of tight ends into the NFL. Now, none of them have gotten like you know, round one, even round two. I think Rucker was a round three pick. So that's still pretty good, though. A day two tight end. Thurman, I do think, is better than anybody they've had in the room for quite a while. But again, I think the big fear you're going to have with him, especially if you're taking just purely CFF Dynasty, not talking C2C here. If you're talking CFF Dynasty, I think the big fear you have to have with him is he's always going to be surrounded likely by five-star wide receivers. And running backs. <laughs> yeah, where's the production going to come from? Because exactly. I don't think it's going to be there. Now, C2C, 
hundred percent. I'm willing to take him because people, unless you're in a league with Chris Moxley, people fade tight ends. Well, you can get him probably around. Yeah. Moxley's probably taking it around two, but in most leagues, you can probably get him in like round eight, nine, 10. I'd be willing to take a shot on him then see what he does and see. Cause I do think the skill set is there. He's a very fun player to watch. And I think he can end up being an NFL guy. So do you think he's remotely going to be close to I mean, Stover as well? I guess he was he was supposed to be there for blocking, but somehow like with everything that was going on in the yeah. office, just his certain games, like they it was like Cade Stover season, like all of a sudden, just like yeah. there he is, just randomly open when all the wide receivers are getting, I don't know, double team, triple team, and then Stover's just like, Hey, I'm over here, CJ. Boom. And there you go. So I'm just like, Yeah, can Thurman be that guy? Or, you know, maybe like two or three games a season, we're gonna see a Thurman breakout game, or you know, do we I see so. not even 200 yards? Like, what are we what are we thinking? I don't, it's so hard to say because I mean, you look at it, even go back to Jeremy Rucker, who was out there with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, yet he was the guy at times. And I think a lot of that is, as you mentioned, when these defenses come in, they know that. So if we just use next year in general, we'll go back to the right. three guys we talked about. You know, defenses are coming in saying, we got to figure out a way to cover Brandon Ennis, Carnell Tate, and Noah Rogers. And then there's Jelani Thurman. They just love to have these guys just like, the block and release, right? Like it looks like he's going to stay in line blocking. And then he just releases straight up, straight up the middle of the field. And he's got the catch radius. He's got the hands that even if, you know, again, Devin Brown, Lincoln Kineholds, whoever the quarterback is, even if they kind of overthrow him a little bit, you'll see him make great catches. Like I do think you'll have games where he might fit in is in a couple of years, take him in and some of Jared's best ball drafts, because he's probably going to have a couple games where he's going to get you like 50, 60 yards and a couple touchdowns because he's just open because they're not covering him. But then you're probably going to have more games where he's getting like one catch for like 12 yards. And you're like, why did I start this guy? So he's probably more of like your best ball target. Yeah. We, there's like an ongoing joke in CFF redraft is like you pick up Stover, you play him for like two weeks, then he falls off. You don't see him for like five weeks and then he hits it again. Now he's back on waivers. You go pick him up again. So a lot of us are just like, should we just play best ball format? So then yeah. if you have Thurman in there, you just kind of leave him in the spot. And then if he has a breakout, then he becomes, you know, your tight end one, you know, for your roster. So I agree. Best ball is probably the best way to take it or waiver wire pickups. But keep in mind that Ohio State tight ends, We'll show up for a couple of weeks, go away for a couple of weeks, come back. Um, and it just all just depends on who needs it and when and where. But I do like Thurman. Uh, like you were saying, like he was able to kind of really like put his hands up and do a block, but catch almost immediately. He's really, really good about switching between a block versus like being open and stuff like that. So I think he'll do uh, Mr. McCord and then very maybe Brown after that fairly well. So I think he's a good one. But um so, so C2C, like, I don't know. Have you seen him, like, at all? Like, he's, like, I, late I rounds, have. or what are, you, what are you looking at? So, like I said, I think the furthest one in right now that I'm in is in the seventh round, and he is yet to go. I mean, Bryson Rogers hasn't gone. Or I think Bryce, I don't know, I haven't looked. I know he hadn't gone in the sixth round. I think we just got into the seventh. So, I know Thurman has not gone yet. I would think that, again, just a lot of people don't value tight ends the way, uh, you know, especially Chris Moxley. Some other people I know like tight ends. I, I would imagine he's a guy that you could probably get anywhere from like the eighth, seventh, eighth round, probably the earliest I would take him again. It depends on, you know, what you're looking at CFF options as well. And drafts freshmen, I feel like, again, we're, we're in the, the seventh round of that one. I think for me, a lot of the guys that I really liked have kind of come off the board by about the fifth round. So at that point, I'm fine taking a shot on him in the sixth round because it's, yeah, I mean, if there's a CFF guy there, but like the top guys, Walker, Barnes, those guys are already gone. They were gone the first couple rounds. So, yeah, I think he's probably going to fall. And again, it makes sense. You're 
especially in a C2C league. Most of those are not best ball. He's not a guy that I would trust really in your lineup leagues just because you're you're probably never going to know when to actually start him. Yeah, and in CFF Dynasty, it's, it's just one of those things where like he's not going to go in the top like five or six. Someone might be a neighbor because he's on Ohio State, so they may think that somehow they're going to be like a tight end friendlier than what they have been other than just a few spot games and stuff like that. So I think he could go right around the double digits, like 9, 10, 11, things like that as far as round-wise. Um, but mainly he's there just because you're playing keep away, if that makes sense. Almost like a strategy of like, I want Thurman because I don't want him to be on waivers or I don't want to have to do it. But if you do that and you play keep away, um, this isn't C2C where he goes into a pro league afterwards so you don't play him at the pro side of the NFL. Like You're really just kind of keeping it there. So Kind of keep that in mind when you're drafting just because, you know, Thurman could do a breakout, but he's better as a probably a waiver option. Or if you do play a best ball CFF dynasty the way that like Nate likes to play and a few of the other guys that enjoy, I think that would be a good option if it's best ball. He would go probably a couple rounds higher. But in a normal one where you're having to set lineups and happen to do the, uh, you know, the selection on fan tracks as far as the the roster and how you're doing it. I'm not sure that's a good idea to take him higher in the earlier rounds. I'd definitely say wait for the double digits. So. That's Mr. Jelani Thurman. Let's move on to a quarterback. And this is Mr. Lincoln Kineholtz uh, on three consensus 91.99. He is a four-star prospect. They gave, they gave him a pro comparison of Joe Burrow. However, they said it was a lofty comparison. So I'll give on three credit for that. Uh, but they say that the reason why is because of his play style, his athletic background, they both had a great uh, production. So it was like really insane numbers, but it was against lower competition when they both were in high school, basically. Um, but they're saying that like Burrow, Kineholtz is also uh, has a good feel for the presence inside the pocket, able to kind of get out as well. And it has put some good dimes that I've seen on, on paper as far as like that and on film. Like I've seen where Kineholtz can put it on the money if he needs to as well. Um, in 2022, he was the Max Prep South Dakota, uh, you know, state player of the year, which I thought was pretty awesome. However, South Dakota, so take that as you will. But for the state, he was the best guy that they had to offer. He did throw for 3,422 yards, 46 touchdowns, and only six interceptions, which is fantastic ratio. And he went for 66.5 completion percentage. He did choose Ohio State. Um, and then here's the whole fun again, right? So it's like, we have McCord this year. We're thinking he's the guy. I know a lot of guys like um, A.J. Hawk and a few other Ohio State alums, they're saying that, you know, McCord's probably the guy this year. But we still have Devin Brown lingering, you know, coming back from injury. I personally will tell you I'm a Devin Brown guy. However, you know, I'm not going to say no to Mr. McCord starting. I just want some of the Ohio State offense regardless. But I am a I am a Devin Brown truther. However, um, he's there. Now Kineholtz comes in. And then I believe they have uh, Mr. Aaron Nolan uh, next year as well coming in. Yeah. So it's a crowded backfield. And just like CJ Stroud, you got to play your way to be the cream of the crop here in Ohio State. So what's your thoughts on Kineholtz? Do you think he ever touches this field for Ohio State? Do you think he's a transfer guy? Or do you feel like he's a guy that, like, if something happens to McCord or Brown, like he's an easy plug-and-play type situation? What's your thoughts on Mr. Lincoln Kineholtz? Yeah, touching the field, that's that's the uh, that's the million-dollar question, right? I, I love Kineholtz. I mean, you mentioned it there in, in the on-three breakdown of him in that the way he knows how to navigate the pocket. It's one of my favorite things about him. In fact, he is a little bit of a departure from – Every other quarterback in this room, including Aaron Nolan, if you want to put Nolan in there. Devin Brown, he is an athletic quarterback. He's not that much more athletic than, than Kyle McCord. Tristan Jebby is there. He's not that much athletic either. Lincoln Kynholz is an actual like run. Like He can actually run the ball. He, he can run and get you yards with his legs. 
but he doesn't. And that's what I love about his game. You go watch him, and most of the time he uses his legs to buy time in the pocket or maneuver around in the pocket and then deliver dimes. His pocket manipulation was some of the best in this class. It's why, as a group, we really kind of fell in love with him. It's why I wish he would have gone to Washington. I don't know why he transferred to Ohio State. But I love it if he does get a chance to see the field. It really feels like Ryan Day has set up, and, and he has these QBs believing in this trajectory of you only need one year. So maybe he only gets that one year. So for CFF Dynasty Leagues, like that's not great because you're probably going to have to take him nope. fairly early in your drafts and you're going to have to hold him for two years. Yep. The big thing will be is if Kyle McCord decides not to leave after this year because I do believe he will be the starter. If he doesn't leave, I don't think at that point Brown sticks around, which then means I think Kineholtz will get the job at that point. And I think he'll probably hold on and beat out Aaron Nolan because for me, it's just really hard to see a guy who has a job lose it. Like that quarterback has to come in and be extra special. Well, I think Aaron Nolan is really good. I, I don't, I actually personally, I've already graded Aaron Nolan. Kine holds graded higher than him right now. So like, I, that's not a, a big separator between the two of them, but I wouldn't be shocked in the least bit. If he ended up transferring because Devin, because comic court goes to the NFL, Devin Brown gets that job next year. It's really hard to know, but it does seem like Ryan Day has got these guys to all buy into. You only need one year in my system, and you'll go on to the NFL. So if they really believe that, and it seems like Heinholz is all bought in. Any interview he gives, anything he ever says, it's nothing but pro-Ohio State, pro-Ryan Day. I mean, I've talked to Kyle McCord behind the scenes. It's the same thing from him. It's the same thing from Devin Brown. So I don't know what I don't know what Ryan Day is putting in the Gatorade up there, but he has got these guys all bought in. So I do think Kine holds of stays. But I honestly, if if you're taking him in a C2C league, CFF Dynasty League, I would tell you right now, you're playing for one year. And if you get two, congratulations. But I, I think at best you're getting one year out of this kid. I feel like Ryan Day has learned from Nick Saban. We were talking about the Alabama running back room last week, right? From from Corey, and we're like, why don't these guys transfer? And I was like, honestly, I think they're fed like, can you see the wall of guys that have been drafted to the NFL because they have this helmet on them and they run running back? I was like, look at Brian Robinson, look at Josh Jacobs, look at all these guys, one year and that's it. So it sounds like it's very similar as far as the mindset, like, bro, all you got to do is start one year and have Ohio State on the side of your helmet and play and just put up good tape and you're going to get drafted. And honestly, he's not wrong. Um, yeah. It'd be sweet to see a couple more years. I very much enjoyed having C.J. Stroud as far as seeing him develop and become even better and better and better i just love the grind and seeing cj stroud just kind of figure it out you know as he was like adjusting you know from you know being the starter right after fields and kind of doing his thing and things like that so i would love to see that from kind because he's got talent i'd really do like his prospect and stuff like yeah. that only thing i don't like from a personal perspective is like the dude needs to put on some muscle bro like uh, oh, i feel yeah, like he yeah. does but he's very string bean you know what i'm saying for those that are watching the youtube You'll get it without me having to say anything. I'm not body shaming anyone, all right? I'm just saying <laughs> muscles help, all right? It just helps yeah. a little bit. Just help a little bit. But um, but Kineholz has the profile that we want to look for. If you're remotely even being considered like a Joe Burrow, then something's going good for you. We all just wish in CFF land he would have took Washington because he would be a kid that you're we're gonna be we'd be talking I'm like we're talking like Nico and all these other guys for CFF that we we want because it fits the system well, he's got the talent and that he could probably outbeat the competition that he had. So I mean who would have Penix one year and then he's he's the starter yeah. next year, you know what I'm Austin, saying? Like, Austin Mack reclassified, but I would take Kyle Holtz over him in right. a heartbeat. So yeah, that's it. Yeah. 
Yeah, even with Mac there, I would like Heinholtz's chances there at Washington. However, he believes in the dream. He feels like two or three years down the road, he's got one year with Ohio State, and he's going to do his thing. So like you're saying, C2C, definitely you pick him up. You might not have to take him very early. He might be a guy that drops because people are kind of seeing as we do, where it's just like, does it touch the field anytime soon? Are we going to have to play the weight game? CFF Dynasty, this is where he drops pretty immensely. It's just one of those things like the Ohio State name is going to be the only reason why people will still probably take him a few rounds early. I'll be honest. Just like when you take the Alabama running back, like no one really wants Richard Young, but you're going to take him because you're hoping that somehow he gets one year, he becomes the guy, but we all know that justice Haynes is probably taking over, you know, things like that. It's the same mindset where regardless if we're looking at Alabama running back, or we're looking at the Ohio state quarterbacks and in some relation to Ohio state wide receivers, even though you can get two to three really good options there and things like that. So what we're saying is, you know, it's temper expectations, but Kineholtz does have talent. And for some reason, he uh, doesn't see it the same way like McCordon Brown does and he transfers out. He's a good option. So he would be a good one to kind of stash. However, it's up to you how you want to hold on to him, whether you want to keep him for a couple of years or you just say, hey, stop for me. I don't want all these guys I'm waiting on. And you have or if you're in win now, mode where you need to make trades, we need to get guys that are playing this year. That could be an option where you can pick it up, maybe trade him and a couple picks and move back up in the draft and stuff like that. So that could be an option for you, too. So just some suggestions. However, you do what you do. Look at your roster, look at your construction and do what's best for you. So let's talk about another Rodgers. This one was a D in his name, Mr. Bryson Rogers. He's on three consensus. I mean, 89.75. He's a four star. Uh, man, I feel like he's the odd man out. When I when I uh when I looked up at that one, he had no pro comparison, right? And then the best thing I got from 24-7 Sparks is he's a power five starter, and that's all they'd say he would be best at. And I'm just like, how did this kid get to Ohio State? But at the same time, like with that. I've seen some of his stuff and it's not like he's terrible or anything like that. He looks yeah. great. And any other offense or, you know, position, especially a G five school, he would be their top dog. You know, like he would just outshine everyone just because he's got confidence. Like they love his yard. He's a yak guy. He's a big yak machine and stuff like that. So they love that. But with the talent and then the talent next year, very concerned about Bryson Rogers. What did you like about any of his film or, and what do you think he may have? Do you, do you think he's another wide receiver, you know, zero? Do you think he kicked returns, punt returns? Is there any possibility that Rodgers stays on Ohio State, or do you think he's a Burton or Brown type of guy that might be transferred out? Yeah, he's an interesting player. I, I do like – like, he's got some pretty good plays. He, he is very good after the catch, and I do think that he, you know – Runs well, a pretty good contact bounce as well. Like he's not afraid to take on contact from defenders when he's running after the play. I think he's very good uh, within route, finding ways to create separation. He played inside and outside and out, inside and outside in high school. He fits again into that mold of like the wide receivers that Brian Hartline really likes, but I don't think he has the talent of any of the three there, and he definitely doesn't. No offense to him, he's a much better athlete than I'll ever be in my life. He's not going to rate, I think, as well as the guys coming in next year as well. So I do think he is unfortunately going to be that guy that just kind of gets buried on the depth chart because I don't think he's got the upside of a Carnell Tate, and I don't think he has the the route running or the the wow moments that Noah Rogers has. And he's not the refined wide receiver prospect that Brandon Innes is. So he has his work cut out for him coming in. Now, I do think from everything I saw throughout spring, he was even behind some of those 2022 guys, which is not great because we've already kind of talked about how bad that class ended up turning out to be for the Buckeyes. 
but this is what what Brian Hartline does. He he likes to go out and get three to four wide receivers. Every single class are all within the same kind of mold. And if they end up transferring out, like, you know, we, we talked about a long time ago with Ryan Day and his quarterbacks, like they don't care. And, and I understand if people don't like that. And I definitely don't love that when you over recruit, because I do think in a way it kind of screws the kids, but I also get it from their point of view. And like, if Noah, like, you know, knock on wood, if three of those wide receivers get hurt, Bryson Rogers has got to step up and you'd rather have it be this four-star guy than a three-star who shouldn't oh, yeah, be at Ohio State. Right. So I get why they do it, but I do think the likely, I shouldn't say the likelihood is he won't be on Ohio State next year because I didn't think a guy like Keon Graves would still be there as talented as he is, and yet he's still on the roster. But I do think... If you're drafting him, it better be like a throwaway pick because I just don't see any production coming from him. Exactly. Uh, this is both, and it's funny how they both, uh, it's a comparison as far as both C2C and CFF Dynasty. Like everyone's like, take a shot on them, but it's not going to be until like rounds like 14 to 16. Or if you're in C2C where you have more than 20 rounds, you take him in the 20th or something like that, 19th. Maybe he uh, looks more enticing than like what's left of the scraps of the supplemental picks that you might have and things like that. So you just grab them. It's just really, really hard for me to want to invest just because I'm just like, I don't want to be the guy that's, I mean, it worked out for me as far as like, um, shoot who was it one of the wide receivers and then he wound up at ucf it was baker so i held on to baker he happened to fall in a gus miles on system at ucf so it worked out for me but like i got lucky you know like it could have went bad he could have stayed and decided to stay at kentucky and then never to be seen again basically type situation so it's like you know you might get lucky where you hold on to him for a year he does dip out but what if he doesn't what if he's like nah man i'm gonna get my shot and it's still two years down the line and then ohio state just cranks cranking out these five-star and four-star guys and then he just sits there basically so you know kind of concerned about mr rogers uh so is there any other offensive players that we didn't bring up these are like the top six that i want to bring up so i didn't want to you know go super super long as far as that one but is there anyone else that you could think of or maybe supplemental wise you think someone is available. I don't think really not much for Ohio State, but is there a sleeper that we're not worried about? Is there something you heard through Mr. McCord or through the grapevine that you're like, uh, we should pay attention to a guy, whether he's not a freshman or not? What, what's your thoughts on Ohio State overall as a as an offense? No, I mean, the only other player, and I imagine he's probably rostered everywhere, and I feel like we're doing it again this year. We did it last year. Is Jaden Ballard. He, he's gotten a lot of love this spring as well. I feel like that's been a little bit overshadowed because of the Carnell Tate hype. Uh, but Ballard, I, I, you know, they they used him a little bit last year, but it wasn't that much. Uh, and he's been, from everything I've read and everything I've been told, has just been phenomenal this spring. And not even just connecting with Kyle. He, he seems to have a really great connection with Devin Brown as well. So if Kyle isn't the starter, it's great to have that chemistry. And it seems like Ballard is the one who's really taken a hold of that. So it's probably not available in your supplemental drafts. He's the only other one. I mean, you're not taking a shot on Xavier. Uh, there's no, but like they didn't bring any running backs in in this class. So I, no, there's really nobody else that that you. Everybody else is kind of probably rostered outside of these guys if they're in your draft. So yeah, Ballard would be the only one. Maybe you can trade for him on the cheap. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody doesn't want him because they think T- Tate's going to be the guy. You can get him for something cheap. He would be the one that I'd go after. Yeah, surprisingly enough, I think CFF Dynasty always he might actually be available in the supplemental just because everyone was so big on Harrison and and Emeka and stuff like that. So it's like, or they took Gray's last year and they're like, yeah, he's my guy. He's breaking out this year. They're still holding on to that hope. And but you know, you have Tate yeah. and Ennis and those guys coming in. So um, 
you know, take it with a grain of salt. But I think Ballard might be available in CFF Dynasty. Probably definitely not in C2C. But yeah, I like that option. Trade a, a lower pick and see if you can pick them up or, yeah. you know, just keep watching the waiver wire. Maybe someone might lose a roster space and they run out of time and they drop Ballard and you can pick them up. So definitely like that, sir. Are you ready to talk about the Big Fish Small Pond, sir? Let's do it. Let's do it. So this week I decided to pick another quarterback for you. And that is Mr. Reese Mooney. He's a three-star prospect, 85.2, heading to Liberty University. Recently, Liberty has been getting some slack. Poor Malik Willis gets drafted. Everyone thought he was going to be day one, maybe day two. No, no, no. He, he definitely drops into, I believe, what, the end of day two, I want to say, to the Titans. And now he's the odd man out. However, this does give Liberty a good look. Um, we also see Demario Douglas. He did get drafted, I believe, is from the Patriots. It's in the later rounds. But at the same time, Liberty players are getting selected. Um, and the good thing is the quarterback room is on the rise. So Mr. Hugh Freeze has moved over to Auburn. But Mr. Coach Chadwell, who was very popular at Coastal Carolina, has moved over to Liberty. So the good thing about Mr. Reese Mooney is that he has a lot of offers, and there was a leg injury in his junior season. However, he's back. He's spry. He got closer to the championship and the state championship in the state of Louisiana more than Mr. Arch Manning, which is interesting, right? Uh, but, you know, everyone, you know, looks at Mr. Manning because he's a five-star. He's a Manning, and, you know, that is what it is, and he has some great tool sets. But Reese Mooney also was one of the most coveted guys coming out of Louisiana. So measurements, he's a 6'1 guy, 200 pounds. He's 69th over QBO class there in 24-7, so nice. 10-inch um, hands vertified, so he does have one. So if you go to measure his hands for the NFL guys, you'll be good to go. You don't have to worry about that. And he did play at Denham Springs High School there in Louisiana, which is actually pretty decent. I wouldn't say – I'd say it's probably the level that Newman played in Louisiana. So I'd say it's about the same as far as overall in particular. So he's a two-sport athlete. Athlete. He played football and he played baseball. He did get the MVP honors for the big 40 QB camp. Uh, that's high school and Juco guys that come out. Um, and he has a lot of offers and we'll look at those in just a minute as well. But because of leg injury in the junior year, a lot of people were kind of, you know, off a little bit. And also Hugh Freeze was the guy that, uh, you know, recruited Mooney over. However, he chose to stay and not go to Auburn. So he did not transfer, which I don't know if that would have worked good having Ashford and now you have Peyton Thorne over there. I don't know if that would look good for Mooney to sit for a couple of years there at Auburn. However, he decided he wanted to stay because he likes Coach Chadwell's development of his QBs. And he's definitely a fan of how, you know, the previous quarterback played there at Coastal. So let's check out some of his offers. <laughs> and he used to say he's got a stacked roster list. And people are like, I was just like looking. I was like, there's no way. But he had some really good ones. So, yes, he shows Liberty, but he had some, I mean, it's SEC still, but Vandy. You know, Miami, Syracuse, literally all. If you're looking at YouTube, you're looking at us. So our, our one of our favorites, the Western Kentucky offered. Coach, the ongoing joke every week, Coach Prime offered him because why not? Because um, he's offering everybody. But Nebraska, Ole Miss, Arkansas, guys that have like KJ Jefferson, Kentucky, who just had Will Levis, Houston, who's, uh, you know, something happened with Donovan Smith. I think this guy would be an option there as well. Illinois, Maryland, West Virginia, Memphis, Cincy. You know, uh, Troy, UConn, Southern Miss, our boys at JMU, one of our favorites there in the G5 level as well. So a lot of guys offered him. So he's very high tubbed. But because of the leg entry in junior season, a lot of people kind of rescinded that. But, you know, Coach Freeze and then Coach Chadwell swooped up. And so he has it. So 
one, what do you think about the, you know, just the overall prospect? What do you think about the chances there at, I don't know if you're a Liberty guy, you know a lot about it, but we do have Caden Salter, who's the uh, incumbent at QB there. But behind him, there's not too many people I'm very excited about. Yeah. But Liberty has a sweet, uh, has a sweet offense, and there's a, a couple good players that we should be looking at. So what's your thoughts about Reese Moody at Liberty? Yeah, so I've I've actually watched Reese Mooney. So I was like, la- last year you dropped it. I was like, I, I don't know. I hit who you. Reese Mooney, I hit so. you. Though. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I do like Mooney, and I actually like the landing spot for Liberty. Now the big thing will be, and I, I it's so hard to keep track of nowadays with um how many years of eligibility they have. I believe Salter's listed as a junior. I don't know if he's got one year left, two years left. It's. I want to say that Nick said he was a redshirt sophomore. So technically I would make him what, uh, probably what, two years, two and two a half years. or two. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's say that Reese redshirts this year. Cause I think they've got a senior on their roster as well. I'll be honest. I don't know Liberty's roster very well, but I, I know they have somebody else there. They do. But if I told you that recruiting wise and then overall talent, Mooney blows them away with that. Oh um, yeah. Say, I, hey, he's sure. yeah. Two at least. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, so I don't know if he would redshirt or not, but I think you're probably going to have a chance to get at least two years, maybe three years out of them, depending on when Salter eventually goes on to the NFL. I think he's got a good arm. I think he fits the Chadwell offense perfectly. So he is a guy that I would 100%, especially in C2C leagues, take a shot on with like one of my last picks if you're looking for a high upside quarterback. Because I think the skill set is there to be Caden Salter. What I don't like about him is if, if you watch some of his film, he does a lot of like as soon as he gets the ball, he's running. Whether it's like right. he does a lot of like running to the side, he throws off his back foot a lot. His mechanics are not very good, but he does have a very good arm. I mean, for him not having good mechanics, he's able to get the ball in pretty well to, to most of his wide receivers and he gets it down the field. To me, he is he he's a stronger armed Grayson McCall. He's probably a little bit faster than Grayson McCall from what I saw. So like if that's what you're looking for, we saw how effective Grayson McCall could be in CFF leagues as well. Again, going to Liberty. Now, they – I might be wrong here. They just joined a conference, didn't they? Are they still independent? No, I believe they joined. I, I, wanna, I, I want to Conference USA they, or one of those lower tier. I think tier. it's Conference USA because I have Sunbelt in my head, but I know it's not the Sunbelt. So. I mean, it might be Sunbelt, Funbelt, but I I think it's Conference USA. Okay, but they so, did add, so they're not independent anymore, right? Right. So so they may play a little bit like better competition to what the, is their roster actually is. But again, I think Chadwell is a very good coach. So I think he'll be able to coach up Mooney and do well for him. So yeah, I actually, I love this pick. Uh, I just happened to, to know who this guy is. It was a very... We were going through just different places. I was looking for a guy who could land on a roster, and I agree with you. Like, great landing spot. Jimmy Chadwell, I think he'll fit his skill set very well. If he can clean up the mechanics a little bit, maybe he's a guy. I don't know that the NFL future's there, but CFF-wise, I think he could be a guy that you could get with, like, the last pick in your C2C leagues that could end up get, being, like, a top 24 quarterback for you. Yep, and my take is, like, Salter is not – Chadwell's guy like that was Hugh Freeze's guy right so and Salter has proven to panic sometimes there was this whole battle between the quarterbacks and Salter they just finally decide well we're going to run with Salter no matter what but they got weapons like everyone's like Demario Douglas's guy a lot of people forget about CJ Daniels who was a freshman the year before got injured but now he's back full-time and he's like a redshirt sophomore or something like that so they have a a wide receiver one that they can throw to and I think Mooney's got the skills to kind of get it to the guys that they need to get it to as well I don't think they have day-to-day anymore so i think they're gonna probably go this the coastal carolina route honestly like they're probably gonna have like one good running back 
possibly two that could kind of patch. You're probably going to want to start looking at Liberty tight ends. Don't know what they have. I really haven't dug that deep. I just wanted to look at the wide receiver room and then look at who's Salter's competition. And honestly, other than Reese Mooning, uh, I just try to say, I try not to say they're scrubs, but they're kind of scrubs, Matt. So it's like, you know, I don't feel like uh, there's much competition. I think Reese Mooney has an opportunity where if Salter struggles and doesn't figure out Chadwell's offense the way that he needs it to, Mooney can be the guy to kind of do it. Um, were you able to take a look at his leg injury or anything like that? Or no, you see the so, junior and senior season yet? I'm I'm gonna be honest, I did not know that he actually had a, a leg injury until you said that. I just watched his um some of his huddle stuff. Like I said, it was a lot of it's it, it reminded me a lot of Grayson McCall at uh uh Coastal, Coastal Carolina, yeah. which is why I love the landing spots. A lot of they they move him a lot. It's a lot of movement, get him on the move throwing to the sidelines, getting wide receivers open for him, which is a lot of what Coastal did, which has made, again, it, it made Grayson McCall so effective. Dude was like a 80%, 70, probably not 80, that's probably too lofty, 70-something percent completion percentage passer mm-hmm. and a, a CFF stud. I think they could do the same thing for Mooney. Absolutely. And then this is like 30 left. So this is after the leg injury. So he had more than 30, and some teams were like, now nah, we're good. But a lot of people saw his senior tape, saw that he was able to kind of compete still at a higher level as far as that level of Louisiana high school football and was able to get closer towards the actual, uh, you know, state championship. Uh, Like I said, competing with the likes of guys like Newman and other schools where they had Arch and a few other uh, players out of Louisiana. So the fact that he still has over 30 and then that he chose to stick with Chadwell, knowing that he could develop and he saw what he's capable of doing with Grayson McCall. And he just like you said, it kind of fits the Grayson McCall thing. Super, super stoked to find this guy. Just randomly, I was just like going through, kind of like you did. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where this kid like had how many offers? And he's only like, he's a super high three-star. He almost was a four-star. Like he was that close and he kind of just missed out on there. So that's cool that you got to see. I didn't know that, that you got to. So uh, did you hear anything as far as like the recruiting class or anything like that? Were they able to kind of check him out at all? Or are you responsible for checking him out? And I have no idea if anybody else. So we didn't grain him. So I assume nobody. Well, I shouldn't say I assume. Matt and David, I feel like, look at a thousand prospects. I don't even know how many guys are actually in there. So they probably know who he is. I personally. So I just love the quarterback position. It's one that I love to look at. So I go very, very deep onto the quarterbacks. And like I said, I just happened to, I don't remember if it was the offers or it was the landing spot of Liberty that intrigued me. But I was like, I'm just going to look at this guy and like, same thing. I was just like, man, I love he just reminds me so much of Grayson McCall with Jimmy Chad. I was like, I'm just going to go, especially like I said, with the way they move, like it is a, a, a concern of mine as well. And that's what I noted in my notes about him was that I just hate it. If you go watch his huddle film, it's like every time he says, hut, it, the whole, like the offense line moves, the pocket moves, he moves like just very rarely. Is he actually throwing from the pocket? He's almost always on the move. But again, that's what Chadwell did with, with Grayson McCall. So it's likely going to work for him at Liberty. Right. We're not saying this guy is like super pro level, although yeah, he might, exactly. he might, you know, but, you know, shot in the dark for UC2C guys. But for CFF Dynasty, what we're getting as Reese Mooney has talent, he fits the system well. And are we really afraid of Salter? Not really. So it's kind of like one bad mess up from Salter. I'm not saying Reese Mooney starts game one. I'm not saying he's like a day one starter. However, he's a guy you need to pick up because it's a guy like we talked about last year, Mr. Jackson Daly, who's now probably starting Arkansas State. We had to wait a whole year, but we said that, hey, he was the better talent and he would probably rise there. And the same thing we saw out of Zion Turner there, who's at UConn, who's now I think is going to probably want to be in QB1 still for UConn. See the same thing as far as Reese Mooney, as far as just being able to take over, being the guy. If there's injury that happens, Reese Mooney can step in and can lead this offense. And they do have some 
pieces that we need to pay attention to. So like I said, CJ Daniels, remember that name. Cause I think he's going to be a guy that we need to look in supplemental and pick up and you can pick him up fairly late, just like you can in Reese Mooney. So why not just double tap him at the end of your drafts and uh, hold on for dear life and enjoy some Liberty football while you're at it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Matt. So I want to thank you for coming on, man. Talk to Ohio Absolutely. State with me, man. It was a lot of fun. Helps me uh, figure it out in my head, but also it helps the listeners and the guys watching as far as like who they want to draft, CFF wise, how, you know, the bigger the risk they want to take or how much they want to invest in these players. But uh, just tell the people what you got going on. You're a man of many hats, but uh, what's something that you guys got coming up or something do you have personally coming up that you want to uh, promote for the uh, for the website and for the, the podcast, man? Oh, no. So much like Corey's, I actually just listened to your guys' episode today. Uh, much like Corey, I am also in a down down period right now, thankfully. Uh, we just nice, we just released a Debbie guide. Uh, again, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show, it's probably for the best that I have no hands in the CFF guide because I have nowhere near the knowledge that you guys do. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm honestly just working on grading 2024 prospects. That's what I'm doing, uh, taking my time doing that, getting ready for, for the summer so that we can release our 2024 recruiting rankings at some point, and then on it, just getting ready for the 2024 season because it's or 2023 season i'm sorry because it's gonna be here before we know it i mean and so just looking forward to relaxing a little bit but you know i, I can't wait to see what you guys i'm really hoping that you guys just blow past your deadline of july 1st and release it early because i've got some drafts coming Man, up it's and possible, i would like i would i know i hear from what i heard this morning from justice you guys have gotten like 100 plus already done so just just release mm. it already so that i can start <laughs> getting some of my drafts done because i need some cff guys but yeah, i'm excited to see the cff guy dropping and that's really all that matters at the moment yeah, we're really excited. Like it was over like 80% complete. Uh, one Moxley is an absolute monster. He's just a beast. I don't know how he does it, but he finds the, the, the craziest parts of the internet to find offensive line, like starting lineup and, you know, crazy stuff like that. So uh, best, best know that he'll know a tight end, like in a random team that I haven't yet to discover yet. Um, so, but yeah, Moxley's a beast and the guy's been absolutely killing it. Like we're about, I want to say 80% with team profiles. We still got some individual players, things like that. So the goal is still July 1st. However, the way that we're going, Maybe, you know, we'll, we'll talk and see if maybe we can uh, say yes. And if Jared and uh, Austin will say yes to the earlier race for you, if not, we might be able to sneak you some, uh, some pages or something for you to check out if you got a draft here soon. So yeah, come on. We'll, I work talk here. About. Like, yeah, you I know, know bro. Yeah. Just send me a couple pages. This is all I'm asking. Maybe I can talk Jared into just sneaking the, 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 the CFF yeah. PDF no, over to you or something. We don't like have that. We'll to tell it out. Austin. Austin, if you're <laughs> listening, just fast forward 10 seconds. I'll tell Austin, just Jared, help me out here, buddy. It's yeah, man. He works here, man. Well, are you going to yeah. make him pay $20? No, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Matt, thank you for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Everyone, thanks for stopping by and for watching and listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Peace.